please join us for the seventh episode of I Dream of Genie. Anybody here seen Genie? Welcome to Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered, our podcast about magical sitcoms from the 1960s. I'm Frank. And I'm Molly. And you're joining us for the seventh episode of I Dream of Genie. Anybody here seen Genie? But before we get started, we're going to give you a brief synopsis. Captain Tony Nelson is anxious to conduct tests for his upcoming space flight, and Jeannie is determined to go with him no matter what. Jeannie sabotages Tony's tests prior to his launch because she doesn't want him breaking his tether on a spacewalk and being lost in space. Confronted with her master's anger and disappointment, Jeannie seeks to make amends by hexing and haunting Dr. Bellows until he questions his own sanity. Before we get started on the plot of this episode, Molly, I thought we might take a quick moment to talk about the title of this TV show. I Dream of Genie? Yes. Why is I Dream of Genie called I Dream of Genie? Well, because it's a song lyric. Exactly. I Dream of Genie with the light brown hair. I know the song lyric, but I don't know where it comes from. I Dream of Genie with the light brown hair is a parlor ballad from 1854. Dream of genie with a light brown hair. It was extremely popular. I was introduced to it by Bugs Bunny, who was singing it in an episode of Looney Tunes. I dream of genie, she's a light brown hair. I dream of genie. I seem to know some of the words as well, back in a corner of my brain. It comes up as a joke in Bugs Bunny several times, actually. Me, genie, the light brown hair. Oh, mighty genie. Release me, and I shall grant thee a rich reward. He's lying! Chop him! Chop him! Why light brown hair? Well, it was a sad song that this songwriter, Stephen Foster, wrote to his estranged wife. It didn't work. They didn't get back together. But she had light brown hair. Oh, I see. And it's not really a genie. It is genie, the way a proper name is spelled, genie. So the title of this takes from a song lyric, but it pertains not at all to the song itself. Exactly. It's a play on words. I dream of genie with the light brown hair, born like a vapor on the summer air. I see her tripping where the bright streams play. 
happy as the daisies that dance on her way. So glad we got that out of the way. (laughs) (laughs) A a nice little uh, trivial, minutial tidbit. I feel like we're going to have a lot of those this episode because the episode is real garbage (laughs) it's so boring frank it's really boring like nothing really happens i think it comes to a crescendo at the end for the viewers that weren't familiar with space travel but to us the tropes are so old and worn that you know they don't add to the excitement of the show so let's get this uh show on the road (laughs) The shit show on the road? (laughs) As usual, we are starting in the morning in Tony Nelson's bungalow. Tony is starting the day by watching the morning news while Jeannie sets the dining room table. A meeting is expected to be called at Geneva next month. Turning to the domestic front. At Cape Kennedy, America's three-man astronaut team is preparing to take an historic walk into outer space. The team consists of Captain Tony Nelson, Captain Roger Healy, and Lieutenant George Conway. Tony's watching that console TV. By console TV, you mean television as a piece of furniture. Yes, it's in a buffet. It's like as if there was a TV in a large buffet. It was very popular. My parents definitely had a television set like that. Yeah, mine too. That was sort of the fancy version. If you were poor, you just had a bare TV set. But if you were rich, you'd have a wooden cabinet built around it. It's probable that Captain Nelson, as head of the team, will be the first American to step into outer space. I'll have local news. Tony is watching a newscast, which specifically mentions him as being one of three astronauts chosen for the first spacewalk. Yes, and then Bellows calls him. Hello, Nelson here. Captain Nelson, Dr. Bellows here. Hello, Dr. Bellows. I've just been going over some of your reports. How are you feeling? Oh, fine, sir. Isn't that what the reports say? Oh, the reports look fine. But in my opinion, you've been a bit jumpy lately. So Tony says that he can sleep soundly, he could eat a horse, and then Jeannie pops a horse into the living room for no particular reason, just to be mischievous, a mischievous Jeannie. She's just hoping that he's going to eat the horse Carpaccio style. <laughs> Klingon style. Well, and then Tony, instead of keeping his cool, of course, has to shout about the horse with the phone there so that Bellows hears it. <laughs> What are you doing? Shoo, shoo. Did you say shoe? Oh, I, I'm sorry. I wasn't, I wasn't speaking to you, sir. He puts the phone down, which, of course, is nothing like the mute function that we have these days. He just sets it on the table and then starts yelling at Jeannie about getting the horse out of here. Jeannie, would you, would you get this horse out of here? Captain. Uh, Captain. Uh, Captain. Do you have a horse in your living room? Of course not, sir. What would I be doing with a horse in my living room? I don't know. But we'll find out this afternoon. I want you to report here at 2 o'clock for some tests. Yeah, but... Bellows seems to take a certain amount of satisfaction when he thinks he has Tony caught. That starts right away. Yeah. He's always trying to catch him in something, which is sort of odd. Jeannie, would you get this horse out of here? But you said you could eat a horse. That's merely an expression. 
Now, come on, take him away. <laughs> Thanks. Anything you desire. Oh, just don't get carried away. <laughs> you have not seen anything yet, Master. There's toast on the breakfast table, and it's in sort of a card holder arrangement. It's like a wire toast holder, so it's standing up. Huh. It's like a, one of those wire spiral things that you would put envelopes. Oh, sure, of course. But it's toast. Yeah, <laughs> Yes, I remember these, uh, these toast caddies. <laughs> yes. Your beloved spouse would not have to scald their fingers, bringing the toast to you tableside. Yes, right. These are the best plover eggs I've ever tasted. <laughs> and of course, they're the only plover eggs I've ever tasted. Plover eggs. Yeah, what is a plover egg? A uh, plover is a small sparrow-sized shorebird that eats and feeds along the sand and gravel beaches of North America. So it's a tiny, tiny bird. So they're little tiny eggs. They're minuscule eggs. Very exotic, weird choice. Indeed. Very obscure. Have some more sausage, Master. Mm, well, I don't know, Jeannie. I don't think I better. Steak? Well. Veal, kidney, pork chops? So then she just pops a bunch of meat on there, which the only thing I thought was interesting about that is that delicacies are all meat, different kinds of meat. <laughs> Jeannie, I'm, this is more than I've ever had for breakfast. Oh, wait until you see the lunch I have planned for you, Master. Oh, and that's Roger, George. Do you mind? Thanks. Then the doorbell rings. He asks her to go away. That's Raj and who's this other fellow? Lieutenant George Conway, who is played by a very young Dabney Coleman. Oh. Dabney Coleman is a very prolific actor who is still working today. Uh, When I was young, I always associated him with playing real jerks in movies like Tootsie, Modern Problems, and Nine to Five. Oh, yeah. You start tangling with me. You'd better be prepared to play very rough. Because I'm not going to be stopped by three dumb-witted broads. He always seemed to specialize in really smarmy, selfish characters who were always ultimately revealed to be nervous cowards. Judy, you've got to help me. That mob has gone crazy out there. They're trying to kill me. Why would they want to do a nasty thing like that? I don't know. I'm not such a bad guy. You're a sexist, egotistical, lying, hypocritical bigot. So I have a few faults. Who doesn't? Is that any reason to kill me? He played some nice guys, too, but those roles aren't quite as memorable. Yeah, here he's just playing a generic co-astronaut. Correct. One of the three-man team going on their spacewalk. Oh, hi, guys. George, give me a hand, huh? Um, Look, I've got my charts upstairs. I think we'd better go and take another look at it, huh? Good. Look, you guys start without me. I'm going to grab a cup of coffee. Roger comes upstairs. They're talking about the mission, which is where Jeannie overhears the dreadful tether cord discussion. Indeed. But Roger is eating what seems to be a pork chop or (laughs) some such from the table. So he went down and grabbed a hunk of meat, not questioning at all why there was a banquet fit for 12 (laughs) on the breakfast table. Hey, I'm right there with Roger. I would have totally grabbed a pork chop. (laughs) It's easy traveling food. Yes, it is. When you step out of that spaceship, remember, easy does it. Push yourself away too hard and you'll never stop spinning. Now, as I see it, our two tricky moments come when we open the hatch to let you out and then when we uh, close it again on your re-entry. I'll start the decompression 
When the airlock is pressurized to airspace, I open the door and out you go. So isn't it really weird seeing Dabney Coleman without a mustache? Yeah, I wouldn't have recognized him. Because he looks wrong without a mustache. There are lots of actors who don't look right without their mustaches. Yeah. Clark Gable. Right. Clark Gable. Burt Reynolds. (laughs) Chuck Norris. Omar Sharif. I think Omar Sharif actually would be handsome with or without a mustache. Well, so would Clark Gable, wouldn't he? Uh, now he uh, there there are a couple of film roles where he is mustacheless, and I swear he looks weird. Oh. What about modern day actors? Well, you said Chuck Norris. Tom Selleck. It's so funny that you bring up Tom Selleck as a modern day actor. Well, <laughs> How old are you? <laughs> we don't talk about Tom our age Selleck. on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the kids love that dude. <laughs> Magnum P.I., Magnum P.I. Yeah, yeah. Before all 20-year-olds were born, that show was canceled and off the air. (laughs) He's a spokesperson for some Republican cause. I'm sure. Freddie Mercury. He looks weird without a mustache. Oh, my God, Frank. (laughs) Freddie Mercury? I mean, the kids, sure, they like him as an old-timey song guy, but he's not current. I mean, you're always the youthful one on this show, and yet here you're revealing that (laughs) youth is relative. (laughs) Bottom line, Dabney Coleman is not a good-looking man. He kind of looks like Dr. Phil with hair. Oh, Dr. Phil is a really unattractive man. Well. Mostly because of his personality. Watch out for that first step, Tony. It's really a honey. Listen, Roger, I think it's very important that you take a look at this, too. (laughs) You know, there's only one thing that worries me. Yeah, when I step out into space, Roger pilot the ship. <laughs> There's a lot of physical comedy from Tony trying to distract Roger and George from looking in Jeannie's direction. Hey, you know, it might be a good idea if we check that tether again. Yeah, uh, well, I, I can't do it right now. I have something else to do. More important than checking your space umbilical cord? Yeah, well, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Well, anything you say, guess we better be running along. So it's a pretty short, pointless meeting. Just long enough to reveal the tether. You are not going. Listen here, young lady. You've got to stop playing around like that. I'm not going where? Walking around in space, not without me. It is perfectly safe. Oh, except that your tether might break and and you might go spinning off into nothing. Tony explains what a tether is to Jeannie. And she is incensed. Horrified. And Jeannie, I became an astronaut because that's what I want to do. And believe me, I know what I'm doing. Well, I will not have the in danger. Well, young lady, I'm afraid you don't have much to say about that. Uh, I have to get going. Where are you going? I'm going to take a few routine tests. Oh. This is such a complicated little reveal here about him having to go do tests. It's so fraught. You know, it's like not natural at all how it comes out to her that he's about to do these tests with Dr. Bellows. And if you do not pass these tests? Well, somebody will be taking my place in that capsule. <laughs> but don't worry, I'll pass them. Thou art a stubborn and foolish man. So it's this tedious setup where she decides that she's going to help him to not pass his tests. Correct. Jeannie decides to put herself into his pocket. Oh, that's right. So that she can go to work with him, which is so funny because Jeannie is able to, later in the episode, pop to wherever he is, even outer space. (laughs) But now she can't just pop to where he's taking the test. She has to hide in his pocket. 
It just doesn't make any sense. But it is a beautiful visual metaphor for her being a little pocket monster. Like we said before in last episode, she is a Pokemon before Pokemon existed. It also creates a situation where they can set up a set with a giant coat where they have her in the pocket. Hilarious. And they use that over and over again. Uh, sir, there's really no need for me to take any more of these tests. If I hadn't passed all the tests I've already taken, I wouldn't be taking this uh, flight on Monday, would I? He comes into this place to take the tests, and behind him are these giant reel-to-reel tapes, which looks like film equipment to me. It's interesting that it is in the doctor's laboratory. Well, that was the computer of its age. Yeah. Uh, those reel-to-reel tapes were data storage. Ah. That's what a computer bank looked like. I thought they had those little cards that you fed stuff in. I think they had that too. I think the tapes and cards worked in unison with each other. Ah. Or maybe they didn't. Maybe one was a floppy disk and the other one was a hard drive. I have no idea. Who knows? Captain, I'm going to be very honest with you. You baffle me. Oh, I admit that so far you've checked out 100%, but uh, there's something. Some little something that I'm not quite satisfied with. You don't know what that would be, do you, Captain? Oh, of course not. Never mind, I'll find it. Exactly what are you looking for, sir? Well, I really don't know. A horse in your living room? Something that you can see that I can't? Voices that only you can hear? Doesn't add up to the picture of an ideal astronaut, does it? You said I checked out 100%, sir. Well, we're going to check you out again. Tony changes behind a screen. To protect his modesty and his lack of an ass. And you can also then see Jeannie opening up Tony's pocket. Oh, uh, you can change behind that screen. Yes. So then Jeannie messes with his test and bellows is. I don't know what he's supposed to exactly think is happening, just that his vital signs are all wonky, Mm -hmm. and that's somehow related to the fact that he's been stressed out. I think in every previous appearance, Dr. Bellows is able to explain away all of Tony's weirdness as somehow being psychological. Well, he's a psychiatrist. But here he finally hits the brick wall of his ability to explain away these oddities. And finally he has to scrub Tony out. Something seems to be wrong with my instrument panel. I'll, uh, I'll check your heart with my stethoscope. Is everything all right? Is anything the matter? Uh, nothing. You have a funny look on your face. How do you feel? Fine, fine. Bellows is a psychiatrist, and yet he's also doing all of the medical tests, which is, I guess, a little bit more likely to have happened in those days. 1965. Than it is now, but psychiatrists are physicians, a fact that I have to still remind people of frequently. But it is odd that within NASA they have a psychiatrist doing all of these tests that would normally be done, frankly, by a nurse or something. You know, they wouldn't have, Bellows himself wouldn't have gone in and measured Tony's heart rate while he ran on a treadmill. Those nurses did not have clearance. Yeah, This is very, very top secret, classified, first spacewalk. You can only use trusted, 
personnel. Hmm. I, I'm just making shit up. I'm so bored. <laughs> now, just breathe normally. <laughs> well, how'd I do, sir? Let me check your heart again. Oh, uh, first I'll make sure this is working properly. Tony's putting on some kind of a spacesuit. <laughs> now he has to get on the ergonometer. Ooh, the ergonometer. It's like the orgasmatron from Barbarella. Yeah. Duran Duran. He has to pedal, but he won't be able to go very fast, which doesn't make any sense looking at this whole thing. Because <laughs> it's just a little bicycle pedal. Will you get on the ergometer, please? Yes, sir. Now, I want you to start slowly and then gradually increase the speed. The pedals are weighted. You won't be able to go very fast. Ready? Go. I haven't done this since I was a kid. <laughs> Save your breath, Captain Nelson. Tony keeps kind of showing superhuman strength. Which would be a problem because... Right, I don't get it. Why, why <laughs> if he could outperform the tests, is that a really bad situation? Hey, stop! Captain Nelson, you're going too fast! You're telling me! Stop it! I can't! He's got a weird zipper in the crotch of his suit. That suit is really something. Well, that actually is accurate. The astronauts' suits do have a zip in the crotch. I suppose they need one. Well, yeah, because, um, you know, sexy time. But if your fly was open and you were in space, you'd really have to be sure it was shut. Yeah, I'm sure it'd be quite drafty. You'd just, like, completely get... Sucked out into space? Sucked out into space, right. You would decompress? Right. Instant death with a fly open. That's incredible. Do you realize what a strain that is on the heart? Yes, sir, I do. Stand up, please. That'll be all, Captain. Will you get dressed, please? Am I through? I would say so. I mean, am I all right? The results are beyond my wildest expectations. <laughs> so, sir, you're going to let me go up in that capsule on Monday, aren't you? Captain, you don't need a capsule. <laughs> Tony comes home. He's been decommissioned or whatever, and he's yelling for Jeannie. Where are you? Jeannie? I know you're here someplace. All right, now, come on out. <laughs> oh, she is in his pocket. Very funny. <laughs> All right, young lady, come on out. <laughs> Why would he call her young lady? She's not young. <laughs> Barbara Eden begs to disagree. <laughs> oh, I enjoyed playing those children's games. Oh, did you? Well, you know what you've done to me. You might have washed me out. Ooh, 
that means you will not be allowed to go walking around in space, hmm? I'll be lucky if I'm allowed to walk around in public. <laughs> How could you have done this to me? I, I did it for you. I must protect you from danger. You protected me right out of my life's work. Ooh. All right, if you like this coat so much, keep it. She leaves and goes to Dr. Bellow's office. So in Dr. Bellow's office, he has an assistant named Walter, who is played by Davis Roberts. Come in. Here's your dinner, Dr. Bellows. Oh, thanks, Walter. I can use it. I feel a little woozy. Well, this will fix you up, Doctor. Davis Roberts is an African-American actor who is better known for appearing on Sanford and Son. Oh. Well, come on in, Doc. This is my son, Lamont. Hello, how are you? Good morning, young man. Dr. Caldwell. Say, what's going on, Pop? Well, Bubba say you got to have a doctor to prove that you got whiplash. You just can't tell him you got to have a doctor. Who did he play on Sanford and Son? He played a doctor on Sanford and Son, Dr. Caldwell. And you're a doctor? (laughs) In some states. And you're going to examine my pop. That's the purpose of my call. Well, how can you prove if a man has whiplash? Mr. Sanford, mm-hmm. after you were struck from behind, did your neck feel funny? Yeah. This man has whiplash. <laughs> and that's all there is to it. That's absolutely all there is to it. Jeannie's hiding behind a green curtain. Bellows is typing something. So now begins the haunting of Dr. Bellows which is some of the shittiest magic that I've seen (laughs) so far on either Bewitched or I Dream of Jeannie. The carriage of his typewriter, which I know that's a carriage. Did you know that? I'm sure I knew that at some point, probably when I took a typing class in high school. It's flipping back and forth, and then one letter gets typed over and over again, and then the paper pops out. The extra brings a sandwich Bellows takes a bite. Then there's no bite. He takes a bite. Then there's no bite. Walter! You called me, Dr. Bellows? Walter, there's something wrong with the sandwich. Every time I take a bite, it's holding it. Look! Off camera, they just keep switching one plate of sandwiches for another over and over again. And as tedious as it is to watch it, Jeannie finds it endlessly funny, giggling from behind a curtain. Would you like a doctor, doctor? (laughs) Of course not. I've just been overworking. Maybe you better go home now, sir. Yes. That might be a good idea, Walter. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, Good night, Walter. Good night, sir. Bellow sits down and starts listening to his heart, and then his heart slowly stops. He takes his temperature, feels his head. The thermometer explodes, which is just like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Yep. Yeah. Ugh. Then his heart slowly stops. Then he thinks he's dead. Dr. Bellows is beside himself, crazed. I'm dead. Here I am, sir. 
What are you doing here? Well, you just phoned me and told me to rush right over. I did not. Or did I? I really don't know. You don't know whether or not you phoned me? Well, of course I did. Well, Captain, I'm a sick man. I think my heart just stopped. Your heart just stopped? Yes. I think I'll rush right over to the base hospital and turn myself in for observation. Uh, well, what about my uh, fitness report, sir? Oh, Captain, in my condition, who am I to presume to judge anyone? <laughs> Tony calls Jeannie out. All right, Jeannie. Back in the space program. I think so, too. <laughs> and thanks. But no more tricks. Oh, no, Master. All right. Let's go home. Oh, you're taking me back? Temporarily. <laughs> but no more shenanigans, either. Oh, no, I, I promise. All right. My car's... My car's out front. As if somehow the car was going to be in the hallway. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, you have to... Walk out of the office, walk down the hallway, maybe get into an elevator or walk down the stairs and go out to the front of the building. But he says, oh, wait, my car is out front. Can you turn us both into vapor and zap us over to my car? Say, would you uh, mind? You know, you know. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> no, come on, come on, cut it out, will you? Come on. No, come on, stop it. Maybe she's tickling him. I have no idea. Maybe something sexy is happening. So we finally have our capper to the episode. They're out in space. The tether cord, will it hold? It's important to note that the first real American spacewalk occurred during the Gemini program and then continued during the Apollo program. But the first actual spacewalk was successfully conducted by the Soviets. March 18th of 1965, the same year that this episode came out, Alexei Leonov was outside of his Soviet capsule for 12 minutes. And then Edward White, the first American to spacewalk, did his spacewalk June 3rd, 1965. And his walk was for 20 minutes. He's a handsome guy. You should Google photos of this astronaut. Maybe later. <laughs> <laughs> so Tony's supposed to be that guy, basically, right? Yeah, this aired a couple of months after the spacewalk, but they probably were filming it while that was happening. So they couldn't have known that they were trampling a real man's legacy. <laughs> they do the spacewalk thing. Tony goes out in his weird suit with the zipper in the crotch. <laughs> they really do have zippers in the crotch. Get off that. <laughs> <laughs> it just looks funny. It's very baggy suit. Indeed. So he's coming out of the hatch. Slowly, slowly. Check your tether line. Are you kidding? It feels great. And then suddenly Jeannie comes flying towards him. And she kisses him on his visor and leaves a big lipstick smear yep. that he will have to explain to his co-astronauts. Because Jeannie's wear lipstick. Fuck you, Sydney Sheldon. Good evening, Master. Did I see the beautiful 
night, star bright, first star see tonight. Wish I may, wish I might, wish this wish comes true tonight. <laughs> And then that's it. Thank God. It's over. <laughs> oh, I think I hear the music. Must be time for us to go. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you join us again next week, but we won't be here. It's the husband's edition. Yes. Our husbands, Brian and Stephen, are going to be hosting an episode of Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered. You may wonder what they did to deserve such punishment. But they're saving us from having to do another episode of Genie, so <laughs> this is just proof of their love for us. Yeah, I would say, because I do not covet having that last Genie episode to do. I could barely last through this one. It'll be great to get a fresh perspective. In the meantime, you can listen to other shows in the Piwacket Podcast Network. The Brothers Grimmer with Bert and Fran. Knuckle Sandwiches with Jason and Frank. And kindred spirits with Stephen and Bert. Well, until next time. Until next time. Bothered and Bewildered is a production of the Piwacket Podcast Network. Our opening song is sung by Melissa Arnett. A special thanks to Melissa for letting us use it. I never really watched Lou Grant. It was too serious. I didn't really watch Lou Grant either. I liked Mary Tyler Moore. And I like the Lou Grant character on Mary Tyler Moore, but I wasn't really much for the serious drama at that age. I kept on hoping that Rhoda or Mary would pop in on Lou Grant, but much like Tabitha, never featuring Elizabeth Montgomery, they never did. I guess quail eggs are tiny. Does anybody eat quail eggs? I've had quail eggs cracked over sushi. That's adorable. I'm just looking up plover eggs. See what comes up on Google. The old foodie... These eggs are much esteemed for their rich flavor and beautiful color of the white part, which is much used for decorating salads. Really? When boiled hard, they are eaten hot or cold with a good brown gravy or some bechamel sauce. They make a dainty breakfast dish. Wow. All right. I stand corrected. And here we are learning something about breakfast foods from Jeannie. In the 1800s, which is when they were. (laughs) Because now it's considered unethical to eat plover eggs. Well, no, there's a June 26, 17 thing that says the seven best eggs you aren't eating. Okay. <laughs> and uh, let's see, duck, quail, goose, ostrich, emu, turkey, hmm. heirloom chickens. Nope, no plovers. Oh, you can see the little plover eggs. Yeah. On a dish there. Yep. They're super yeah. tiny and delicious looking. I'd actually like to have one right now. I would too. <laughs> I wonder where that pocket set went. You think somebody bought it at auction? A giant pocket set? A Persian prince paid a thousand <laughs> lira for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not lira, it's...
A Persian prince paid a thousand doll hairs for it. Doll hairs? <laughs> yes, doll hairs. A thousand shekels. A <laughs> uh, thousand crowns. A thousand hay pennies. <laughs> uh, let's try the pulmonary function tester. There's a lot of gross jokes that could be made about this pulmonary function deal. Mm-hmm. Visually, it's a little phallic looking. They keep stuffing it in their various mouths. Um, you should probably take that out. <laughs> it's <laughs> gross, though. It's like a, it's like a flesh-colored rubber thing they keep putting in their mouths. Did you just get a call? I just got a text ah. from my mother. Oh. Word to your mother. <laughs> Hello, listeners. It's Frank. When I was in high school, I took a typing class, and I was seated in front of a gigantic typewriter that buzzed and whirred as if it was an air conditioner. So it was an electric. It was an electric. Fancy pants for that day. I started on a um, manual typewriter. Ooh, manual. I think Bellows is using a manual here, isn't he? There was no electric at this point in the 60s. Hmm. You remember manual typewriters? Do you remember the Gutenberg printing press, Molly? No. <laughs> Do you remember cave painting, Molly? <laughs> no. No. The Brothers Grimmer with... How do you Bert say? Burton Fran. Burton Fran. See, uh... 